Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, as we open up the scriptures, as we sing, Lord, we just sing two very strong songs, Lord, that are so biblical in their message. Father, would you use music? Would you use the preaching of your word? Would you use the reading of your scripture to penetrate hearts and minds and souls that are here today? Father, we are not here by accident. You have drawn us here to this place for this day to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you speak. I know, Lord, I will bring this message the best I can when the power and strength of your Holy Spirit But Lord, I know you can take what I preach and you can preach an individual message to every single person in this room and we ask, Lord, that you do that. That today when we walk out of here, we go, I know I met with Jesus today. That it's not about the fellowship of the believers here and and what all we do and the ministry here, but Lord, it's about you and we want to make sure that everybody here walks away and says, I got a chance to spend time with the Lord today. And Lord, that we know that you are in this place. Speak to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1907, the great preacher E.M. Bounds wrote these powerful words which are still challenging hearts of God's people to this day. He says, God's plan is to make much of the man. And of course, in today's times, he probably would have reworded that and said, make much of the man and woman. He says, For far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men or men and women. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men and women who the Holy Ghost can use, men and women of prayer, mighty men and women of prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men and women of prayer. He does not come on machinery, but on the backs of men and women. He does not anoint plans, but he anoints people of prayer. leads me to a question for you to consider this morning. What if all of your prayers were recorded, written down, and then published? (laughs) I see you, Nick, chuckling back there. Could you imagine if all your prayers were recorded and written down? That's slightly a scary thought, is it not? It's, it's a little scary to think, wait a minute, my prayers written down, recorded, and then put into, into, into print where other people could read them anywhere and everywhere. Would your prayers be worth reading if they were published? Would they be something and go, man, someone needs to read that. That may encourage somebody else. And would they qualify for the pages of the Holy Scriptures or would they be more fit for like the National Enquirer or maybe just for Facebook? I mean, if your prayers were... Recorded. My prayers were recorded. What would they speak to other people? I've heard of two reliable ways to learn how to pray. First of all, is to be around other people that pray. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get in a group of people that are praying, there has been times when I get in a group of people who are praying people, and sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like praying right now. I'm not in the mindset to pray, or, or I don't know what to pray. It's, a, it's amazing how sometimes when you sit and you, you allow time to pray with other people, how God can start to use that in you, and you start learning from others, just hearing other people pray, and then how that can draw you into prayer. It's a great way to learn is just praying in groups. One reason why I think growth groups are so important and being part of a growth group or being part of a Bible study because when you gauge in prayer together, you start teaching other people and you start learning how to pray. Second way to learn how to pray is by studying great prayers in the Bible. There's several that are recorded or references to, and if we want the Lord to teach us to pray, then a great part, place to start is opening up God's Word and saying, well, who has prayed in Scripture? And let's read that person's prayers and see what they prayed about. Because prayer is the thermometer of the soul. Prayer is what, what tells us whether we're, we're hot for God or whether we're cold. If you want to know what a man believes, don't tell me what he says Tell me what he prays. If you want to know what you really believe, stop and look at your prayer life. A man or a woman may say things, but when they pray, their heart is fully revealed in the way they pray. So today we want to look at the topic of prayer. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we start learning about prayer by reading about the Apostle Paul and what he prayed for the church in Ephesus. We've been on this journey the last few weeks, walking through the book of Ephesians, trying to understand what the Apostle Paul and how he guided the church in Ephesus, these Christians going through some difficult times, some hard times, and saying, what did he teach them about, about walking in Christ? And so we're grabbing on those, and we said, you know, life can be discouraging. Life gets you down. Life knocks you upside the head. And how do we keep going? How do we keep pressing on in this world? And so Paul says, Here, here's one way, as we look at his prayer, in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my, what? In my prayers. He said, I keep asking God, so I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he's revealing, here's what I'm praying about, Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, which means you may see more clearly in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, which we just sang about, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is, that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and pointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in their every way. Here's Paul's prayer in short. Paul simply prays, I want them to know him better, and I want them to see clearly. Know him better and see clearly. That's a prayer I think we can all grab onto. That's a prayer you can pray for a friend. That's a prayer you can pray for your mom and dad. That's a prayer you can pray for your brother or your sister, your aunt or your uncle. That's a prayer you can pray for your coworker. That's a prayer you can pray for yourself. 
Lord, I want to know you better. Lord, I want my heart to see clearly. So let's look at these two objects of prayer. Know him better. The meat of that prayer comes from verse 17. From verse 17, as Paul is praying for Christ followers that you may know him better. Paul is praying that the Ephesians might get to know God better. Now remember, this letter is written to Christians. And so he's praying, I pray that they know him better. In other words, they might know him some, but there's more for them to understand about Jesus. They might know him a little bit, but boy, there's so much more in this walk with Christ for Christians, and they need to understand it. That means Paul's writing to these believers, and he's saying, they have some knowledge, but I want them to have more knowledge. They have some understanding, but I want them to have more understanding. They grasp a little bit of it. I want them to grasp a bunch of who God is. His main request, Lord... I pray that these folks who already know you might come to a new and deeper knowledge of who you really are. The Greek word here is a verb that means to know deeply, personally, and intimately. If you were to somehow measure your walk with God, could you say, you know, I know God deeply, personally, and intimately? I had a professor in college used to say, we miss the truth intent of God's word by 12 inches, the distance from our head to our hearts. See, a lot of us know God and know of God and have heard of God and we sing some songs to God and maybe we sit in some Bible studies and we know some theology and have some understanding, but has our hearts been affected? Sometimes we can know the right things to do and the right things to say, but we don't really know God. For instance, I know who our president is and what he looks like. How many of you would say, I know what he looks like? How many of you say, I know he tweets a lot? <laughs> we understand that, right? Put a picture in front of us, we say, yep, that's President Trump. I don't know him personally, and he doesn't know me from Adam. Someone put a picture up of me in front of me and said, I have no idea. That's some dude. I have no, no idea who he is. And they could even give him a description. He lives in Kentucky. I still have no idea. He lives in Lexington. I still have no idea. He would have no clue. I can also say, though, I know my wife. That's an entirely different statement of knowing, is it not? And that knowing of my wife has changed greatly in 23 years of marriage. It's become a very knowledgeable and a very personal relationship and that's kind of what Paul is praying about. Paul's not praying about just saying, oh yeah, I know God. Paul is saying, do you know him intimately and personally and closely that you have that kind of relationship? God desires that kind of relationship with us. But we can't have this deep, peaceful relationship unless we spend time praying and talking to that person. See, when we speak to God on a routine basis, our, our prayers become more meaningful. Our, our prayers become more deep. Our, our prayers become less gimme, gimme, gimme and more about help me see what you want me to see through this. Help me to, to deepen my relationship with you, God. Help me to, to serve you, God. Our whole mindset changes. I love the Old Testament image that you find in Exodus that says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Stop and get that image. It's like God saying, I, I want to pull up a chair with you, and, and I'm going to sit here, and you sit there, and let's sit down and just conversate. I want to know you that 
Well, let's get so close to each other that it's like face-to-face conversation just as you would desire to spend that time with your friend or with that spouse to say, I want to hang out with you like that, God. Unfortunately, too many of us know God as this great killjoy. He takes all the fun out of life. Or too many of us know God as is maybe the genie in the Bible in the bottle. God, I need this. God, I'm in trouble. God, help me out. And then you put them back in the bottle. And then when I need you again, God, I'll, I'll call upon you. But in the meantime, God, you just kind of hang out over there. Many of us just see God as a great rule maker. Well, he makes all these rules, tells you what to do and what not to do. That's not what God desires for us. God desires that we know him personally as in terms of a, a deep Friendship. God invites us to know Him better. It's not as if God is hiding from us, but we can only have a close relationship if we will seek Him and we seek Him in prayer. And that's the point of Paul's prayer. Paul's praying, God, I want my friends, these people who are in Ephesus, who are Christians, I want them to know you better. I want them to know you deeply. I want them to know you intimately. I want them to know you personally. I don't want them to know you just in terms of, yes, I'm a Christian, or yes, I can speak the name of God, but I want them to have this intimate, deep relationship. Secondly, Paul says, I want them to see clearly. Look at verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened, see clearly. When Paul says your heart, he's not talking about the organ in your chest that pumps blood through your body. The term heart refers to what we call the real you. The the word means actually bowels. It's the deepest part of you, the place inside where decisions of life are made. The heart is the place where where you decide what values you will live by and what direction you will go and how you'll live your life each and every day. Every important decision you make comes from the inner depths of what is referred to as Scripture as your heart. And Paul is praying, may they see, may they be enlightened, may their eyes be opened. Basically, may the, the blinders be taken off so they see with the depths of their heart, God, what you desire for them. Know you better and then see See according to your ways of life. See, your heart has eyes that can be opened or can be shut. Another way to say it is some people have hardened hearts. See, when the eyes of your heart are closed to God, you stumble blindly through life. You make dumb decision after dumb decision. You make crazy mistake after crazy mistake. You fall into sinful patterns. You break God's laws. You end up driving into the ditch of life. You make the same mistakes over and over again, and you enter, uh, enter, and you enter one dead-end relationship after another dead-end relationship, and you go, why am I in this mess again and again and again and again? Why problem after problem after problem after problem? after problem? Why struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle? Why sin that keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating? Because the eyes of your heart are shut and you lack a moral, spiritual vision that comes from God. And Paul says, know them better. Know him better. And their hearts, their eyes to their heart be open. It creates this tug of war in our hearts is what goes on. It, when, when, we, when we kind of bounce back and forth of I'm not sure what the right direction is. I'm not sure what God's will is. I'm not sure what the Scripture says. It creates this tug of war because we don't know what our central focus is. What is your central focus? See, it's either the world is at the center of life and Christ is pushed off the edges of life or Christ is at the center of life and the world is pushed off the edges of your life. It can't be both. 
You can't have the world at the center of life and Christ at the center of life because what happens is it creates this tug of war. And so what happens is if we put, put the world in the middle, Christ has put the edge and you don't know him. He's just a name that you're aware of. Hence, that's why our mission here is to connect people with Christ and center their lives on Jesus because we want you to walk 24 hours a day, seven days a week with Christ at the middle. And that's what Paul's praying. May their hearts be enlightened. May their eyes be open because they push Christ off. But when Christ comes to the center, the world is seen for what it is and you really push it off the edge and go, I don't need this world. And you push it off the edge and say, what I need is Christ. See, when we believe that our present life is more important than our eternal legacy, we begin to make poor choices. Remember, we're already citizens of heaven, but sometimes we fail to live as though we are. And when we believe that this present life is more important than our eternal legacy, then bad choices happen. But when we start thinking about our our lives and view of eternity, we make different choices. We begin to live two separate lives when when we have the choices of the world and the choice of Christ. We have one life around the church, and we have another life when I'm away from the church. And that creates a tug of war. It creates a struggle inside. Consistency is lost. Paul's saying, I want them to know you better I want their eyes open. Why? So they live with Christ in the center. Here's what we must understand. If we're going to live two different lives, if we're playing the game of Christianity, then externally we look good, but internally we're darkened. And externally, sometimes we can look good, while internally we are just crumbling and fall apart. You're working really hard to hide the real heart of who you are. But once your eyes are are really opened up, the light of God's truth will come in, flooding in, and you'll never look at anything the same way again. Too much, it's teeter-totter back and forth. God, world, God, world, Christ, world, Christ, world. This teeter-totter. The balance should be Christ and the world. God in the world. And Paul's prayer is, I pray that Christians will know him better and their eyes will be open so they live with Christ up here and the world down here. And then Paul says that you may know. Look at verse 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that what? That you may know. He marks out three specific blessings. The hope to which he has called you. Maybe you want to underline that or highlight that in your, in your phone. The hope to which he has called you. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Again, underline that. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, I want you to know his power. That power is the same as the mighty strength. Three specific blessings. Paul says, I want them to know better. Know God better. I want their, their eyes to be open. Why? So that they will have these three direct blessings in their life. Number one is know all that God has given, the hope to which he has called you. This looks back into the earlier portion of the letter and verses 3 through 14, which we've covered most of them. But verse 3, he says, you, you will know that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4, that you're chosen in Christ. In verse 5, that, he's pre, that you're predestined to be adopted as his sons. You're brought into his family. Verse 6, that you're recipients of his grace. In verse 7, you're redeemed through his blood. In verse 7, you get the forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, wisdom and understanding. Verse 9 and 10, that God's plan is made known to us. Verse 11, that you're chosen and predestined. Verse 13, you're included in Christ. And verse 13, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And verse 14, you're given the earnest of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is what God has given you. Do you know that? We miss it. He says, I pray that they will know him better. 
And then he's referring back to all these great benefits that we see in the beginning of this chapter. All this is ours. It is the present possession of every follower of God. To be in God's family. To be forgiven. To be sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption so that we will be in heaven with the Almighty. We are rich and blessed beyond all measure. And Paul prays that we might understand how rich we already are. Church, do you get these blessings he's praying and he's speaking of are for us as well? You understand that this letter is speaking directly to us in the year 2017 to the fellowship at Center Point Christian Church. You could take the name Ephesians off of it and put the Center Pointins because it's written to us as well. To the people of Center Point, to the Christians in Lexington, Kentucky, to the Christians in the great state of Kentucky, to the Christians in the United States of America, to the Christians throughout the entire world, these words are for us. You say, well, what about those who are not in Christ? And maybe that's the place where you sit today. I want to tell you, when you cross that line of faith, I've just shared with you the great blessings of walking in Jesus. You may say, I don't understand all that. We would love to have conversations to help you start understanding more what that means. Second blessing is this, to know all that God has promised. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. This looks ahead to the end of time. When we will see the Lord face to face and receive all that he has promised us. Now, sometimes we wonder, and maybe you wondered, what does heaven look like? What's it really going to be like? I mean, we can read about, well, streets of gold, and, and we can read about the lampstands. We can read about how big the walls are, and it's beyond our wildest expectations. There's no way for us to put it all down and really grasp it until the day we're there. The promise, though, isn't the place of heaven. In fact, going to heaven is not so much going to a place as it is going to a person. And Paul's drawing in on that. He said, yes, heaven, but the future is that you are going to be with God Almighty. You're going to be with our Creator. Now, I've been on trips away from Brian and the kids through, throughout our, our years of marriage. Sometimes it's been a few days, sometimes it's been up to a week. And many of you have had that same experience where you travel for your work or you take off on a little vacation, get out with some people, and what do you say when you're gone? Many times you'll say to a friend or say to someone, I can't wait till I get home again. I can't wait to get home. What are you saying? Are, are, are you saying, well, when I get home, I, I can't wait because I'm going to walk in the house and go, oh, my goodness, I've missed you drapes. Oh, I've missed you couch. Oh, I've missed you television. When you say, I can't wait to get home again, you're not saying that. What are you saying? You're not saying, oh, I've missed you kitchen. Now, some of you may say, I've missed you my bed. Because I know a lot of times I like to sleep on our own bed. But what are we really saying? When I say, oh, I can't wait to get home again, I'm saying, I can't wait to go home and see my wife. I can't wait to go home and see my children. Well, sometimes. What are, that's what we're saying. I can't wait to go home and be around the people that I love and be in interaction with my family. I say, I can't wait to get home. I mean, I can't wait to see Brianna and my family. It's the same thing with heaven. The glory of heaven is not the streets of gold or the gates of pearl or even the river of life or the angel of God. The glory of heaven is being with God. And Paul says, that's what I'm pointing you to. That's the hope of heaven. I get to be with God. I get to be with my, my creator. If we went to heaven and all it was was a room with a cement floor and nothing else, it would still be glorious because we'd be with God. It would be tremendous. 
And that's when the eyes of our hearts are open. We begin to miss being in the presence of God rather than the place of heaven. When our eyes are open, we start going, man, I've just kind of withdrawn from God. I haven't been around God much. I need that personal relationship with God. I miss being in His Word. I haven't been in prayer. I haven't been in worship. When we start having our eyes open, we want to know Him better, we start having those kinds of desires. The third blessing is all that God has provided. His incomparably great power for us who believe. There are four different Greek words for the word power in the New Testament. Here he uses the word which we get our word dynamite from, which is dunamis, and we need to believe that God's power is sufficient for all that we need. Often, too often, we are gripped by fear. We're overcome by inadequacy. We wrestle with insecurity and a feeling that we're just powerless to change things in our life. And that is Satan's work over us. And Paul is praying, listen, when you know him better, when your eyes have been opened, the, heart, the eyes of your heart have been opened, you have the same power that raised Christ from the grave. Ponder on that for a moment. The same power that made it possible for Jesus to take off the linen clothes. The same power that made it possible to roll the stone away. The same power that gave Jesus the strength to walk on earth again is the same power that lives inside of you and me. And Paul says when you know him better and when your heart, uh, your eyes of your heart have been opened, this power is available to you. And he says, that's what I'm praying for you, church. That's what I'm praying for you, Christian friend. This power that exploded in Christ when he rose from the dead, if you know him, then you have the greatest power source of all. But Monday's coming. And Monday attacks hard many times. Oh, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, I can't believe. Oh, this life's got me down. Quit grabbing onto the lies of Satan and grab onto the power that is inside of us when we're in Christ. And Paul's prayer is you have that power inside of us. Here's the problem none of this happens if you aren't willing to pray. None of it happens if you're not willing to pray, to develop a lifestyle of pray, praying, to keep on praying, and to keep on praying, and to pray a little bit more, and to pray a little bit more, and to develop your prayer closet and your quiet times, and to get away from this world and say, I'm drawing away from this crazy rat race world. I'm turning off the television. I'm getting off of the social media. I'm not going to watch and binge watch Netflix for 20 hours because i got to spend time with the Lord. And we start praying, and we pray a little bit more, and we pray a little bit more. Also, we start praying for each other. Husband starts praying for wives. You want to heal your marriage? Just start praying. Lord, I want my husband to know the Lord better. And would you open the eyes of his heart? Just start praying that for your spouse. And pray it daily and pray it regularly. Husband, start praying for your wife. Lord, I want my wife to know you better. And I want you to open her, the eyes of her heart. And let God do the work versus you trying to do the work. Let God do the change instead of you start doing the changing. Start praying for the classes that you teach. Start praying for the growth groups that you're in. Start praying for the kids that you're ministering to, to the teenagers that you're ministering to. Start praying for your neighbors. Lord, I want them to know you better. Lord, I pray that you'll open their eyes of their heart. Pray that they'll be turned on by the truth of God. And mostly pray that the eyes of your heart are open. 
and pray for yourself that you would know him better. Pray that we see clearly with the eyes and the heart of God.